Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanner Grace, and as always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, you seem like you're in a really good mood tonight. I am. It was a great day. Yeah? Uh, Jazz won a, a big basketball game today? A big basketball match? They won by 19. At one That's point, a lot. At one point, they were up by 31. It, was I correct in hearing that Dalvin Mitchell was, A, going off in the third quarter, but also talking shit during it? Yeah. So he, you know, he went off for 57 on Monday in that game, which is the third highest playoff scoring output in history uh, for a single game. Michael Jordan had a 63 against the Celtics in the 80s, and Elgin Baylor that guy's dropped good. 61 in the 60s for the Lakers. Same. I've also heard that guy's very good. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, thir- third all-time, but they lose in overtime. You know, dagger of a game. Uh, Yikes. But, so you knew that coming into game two that Denver was going to adjust their defense, and they were going to try to aggressively get the ball out of Mitchell's hands. And make That's other a good matchup. They're they're playing Denver in the first round. Yeah, uh, or yuck. Yeah, and they well they tanked to get Denver because they didn't want to play Houston, and it was like Pff. oh are they is is Denver a better matchup for them? Yeah, Denver's well, really good. It's, it's not that Denver is a great matchup for them. It's that Houston is a nightmare matchup. They've literally lost okay. to Houston each of the last two years. Harden puts up like fifty a game on it, them. Right? No, Doesn't it's he? actually everybody thinks it's it the defensive side of the ball that's the problem. That's actually not the case. They were very good defensively against Houston last year. The problem is Houston's defense, where they play small and switch every pick and roll, is really good against the way the Jazz play uh, oh. offense. Because the Jazz play a very pick and roll heavy offense. And so oh, Houston oh, is very me, good. Tell at, me more. Yeah. They've been doing that for 30 freaking years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, but they, I mean, they do it with a, a very different like, They do it with a lot more shooting now. Um, yeah. And they, the, they really just can't, they can't score well on Houston. That's always been the problem. So they, they avoided Houston, tried to get Denver. Um, and uh, they did. And, uh, you know, they, you know, Denver's going to come out in this game and they're going to try to stop Donovan. And they wanted Denver because they know Denver has a defense that they can exploit. And that's what's happened the first two games. Um, so they come out and they're trapping the pick and roll with Donovan. They're doubling him a lot, just literally forcing the ball out of his hands. And the, the thing that you have to do when that happens is just make the right read and, and swing the ball. Because like yeah. as soon as they double, suddenly there's no open man. And they can rotate and rotate, but the ball is going to move faster than you can. the defense can react. Eventually, you're going to find somebody for an open shot. And you need to find open shooters, and the shooters need to knock down the, the shots. And that's literally just what happened all game. At one point, they were like 19 for 32 from three. They were just draining him over and over and over again. But Donovan had been held in check. I think he had six points at halftime. So he comes out in the third quarter, and because the Jazz had been moving the ball well and making open shots, Denver had to relax a little bit on their defense on Donovan, and so he fucking went off on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they had him and Jamal Murray mic'd up, because they do that with different players in any game, especially on national TV. And so they showed during the third quarter, towards the end of it, the, some of the clips of Donovan Mitchell being mic'd up. And, you know, that they, they always talk on the floor. And at one point, he, like, drains a three, and he, he's backpedaling to get back on defense. And he just turns to the guy and goes, you know, it ain't personal. It ain't personal. <laughs> <laughs> at 21 points in the, thir- in the third quarter. It's almost like the Jordan shrug to Spike Lee. Yeah. You're just going off on the Knicks in the playoffs and on you. He's, he's like, hey, man, I, I yeah, don't know. It like, ain't personal. <laughs> He's, yeah. he, he ended with uh, he ended with thirty tonight or today. They played in the afternoon, but he did it on fourteen shots. He was ten for fourteen That's and four for four from the free throw line. He also had I think eight assists, and seven of them were to three point shooters. That's so they good. got twenty three points out of his eight assists as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's 22 possessions, 24 possessions if you count the the four free throws. And 
they got 53 points out of them. Which is, So now, over these two games, he has 87 points on 47 shots. Is that good? Which, is I that, mean, is it's that comical. His true shooting percentage is about 80. When, if you know anything about basketball analytics, average true shooting, I think, is 56. Excellent, like elite, 60%. If you're at 60 yeah, or so above, he's just, he's absolutely elite. He's at 80. You know, it's two-game sample. But, uh, Jazz played, like, super well today. Their defense was good. Uh, they really held Murray in check. Jokic got his, but outside. And they, they left Michael Porter Jr. open for a few too many uh, shots. And their rebounding was, uh, wasn't great. So those two things are just the two, you know, qualms I have about the game. But other than that, Jazz played fucking unbelievable. Mike Conley should be back for game three as long as his test results come back negative. Uh, I, I'm just fucking psyched. They, they just, they just, the thing that's so underrated about the Jazz, especially in a playoff series, is Quinn Snyder is so good at making the right adjustments. And they were absolutely a step ahead of the Nuggets today. Like the Nuggets prepared in the exactly the way everybody expected them to, and the Jazz prepared for what the Nuggets were going to do in Game Two, as opposed to how they played Game One. Little three D chess, yeah, yeah. Uh, they ju- and they just got out fucking coached easily, outplayed this entire game. It was just awesome to watch. Just fucking buried them. It's nice to hear this because um, I'm actually like pretty distanced from basketball right now, not on like purpose or anything, just. You know, I've got a lot going on in my life right now. Um, I've been doing some other stuff with my free time. Baseball's back, and it, it's looking like it might actually make it. <laughs> I mean, they, they've they been doing a little better lately, but... Are the Florida Marlins alive still? Yeah, they're actually doing really well. Like, wow. you know, they still have a winning record and stuff. It's pretty crazy because half their team can't even play for them right now. You know, stuff. It, it, it's it's crazy out there. Like, do you see what happened earlier in this week where everybody made the the big deal about uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Oh, swinging yeah, swinging on the, the 3-0 count. pitch? Just fucking stupid-ass bullshit. Can I talk about this for a minute? Because, look, I'm a baseball purist, right? Like, I like the pitcher hitting. I like the wooden bat. You know, like... You, you like know, the sort of pitcher it. hitting? Are you out I of your do. fucking mind? I, I will it's admit... so fucking stupid. Stop. I, I will admit the other stuff's better. I'll admit that it's better. It's just, from a purist standpoint, like, that's just the way the National League's been... I, I like the the more manage like having to manage the game a little bit more, you know, not having the DH. Okay, but, boomer. Hold on, stop. The more I'm, the more I'm watching it with the DHs, though, I'm just like I'm 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 coming around. Like, yeah, this is much better. Like your pitchers don't get hurt as often. It's just a better game to watch. You know, you don't have this guy up there that like can't freaking hit. You know, like trying to hit and stuff. But I want to talk a minute about why everybody was mad and this um because this kind of correlates a little bit to some of the stuff that goes on in Magic, like the unwritten rules. That we've we've set in these things. This is very similar to like the handshake discourse. I exactly. I was gonna say this is a lot like the handshake discourse where they're okay. So the Rangers were up by seven. I'm sorry, the Rangers were down by seven. San Diego was up by seven. Uh, Tatis plays shortstop for them. For anyone who doesn't know this, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is quite possibly the best player in baseball already. And like he's barely played a full year. He's 21 years old, and the kid is a stud. I mean, absolute stud, and he's. Here's the best. Here's one of the best parts about him. He's fun to watch because when you watch baseball, it's it's kind of boring in a lot of ways. I'll admit, you know, it's boring. It's not flashy like in basketball. You don't have dunks and stuff going on. He goes out there and he has fun. It reminds me of one of my favorite players, this young kid that we have for Atlanta named Ronald Acuna Jr., who's also very, very, very good. He's like easily top five player in the league, and you know they just have an exuberance for the game that you don't see with a lot of the boomer, you know, players or whatever. And these people that follow these unwritten yeah. rules, and some of them are there you don't for see a reason. Aubrey Huff out there. 
Yeah, dude, fuck that guy. Don't, don't get me started on Aubrey Huff. That guy's a stain. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> giant piece of shit. But anyway, <laughs> we're seeing a lot of those in baseball lately. If you follow the news of what happened today live during a game, we're not going to get into that, but that was fun to watch. I happen to be literally watching the game. But um, anyway, uh, so they're up They're up seven runs in the eighth, and uh, Tatis is a 3-0 count. And the pitcher throws a fastball down the middle, and Tatis just hits it 400 feet to right field for a grand slam, right? His second home run of the game, you know, uh, it's a big deal. And they got mad at him for doing this, for swinging at a 3-0 pitch there. I want you to understand the audacity of this. They got mad at him for playing the game because, well, you're up seven runs. Like, you shouldn't be swinging at these pitches like that. Like, you should just let the, you know, guy get a strike. And, like, I kind of get where they're coming from, but fuck off. Well, you understand that that is a rule, like the unwritten rule of baseball. So you can understand on that level, but it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. I guarantee you, if you go through baseball history, you'll find games that teams have lost up seven runs in the eighth inning. Yes, exactly. Like, that, that is that is a big deal. Like, you can still lose this game. Yeah. Also, this kid is not getting paid yet. You know what I mean? Like, he's making, like, not a lot of money. And every stat counts for him when he starts to go to arbitration with his team because he's going to be what's called a super two. And so in two years, he gets to start going to an arbiter and being like, hey, I should be paid more. And the team's going to be like, he should not be paid more. And they're going to talk about why. But when he's like, look, I hit all these damn home runs and I make all these huge plays, like I should be paid more, right? Like this, like the baseball system sucks, right? Anyway, oh, yeah. that's not the worst part about all of this, right? So after the game, you know, a lot of people brought this up. Uh, l- l- let me finish what ha- actually happened. So literally the next batter that came up is another superstar, Manny Machado. And you could tell he knew it was coming. The next pitch was behind him. You know, because baseball tries to police itself. So the manager got thrown out and the, the pitcher got thrown out of the other team. They have since been suspended for throwing at a player because they're getting they're they're taking it really serious this year with with uh with COVID. They don't want anybody getting in fights, you know, on because like that's they, that is a they've also big got issue. the asterisk thing too, so they've got two yeah. reasons to try to, you know, yeah, keep everybody trying in line to, in terms of brushbacks. Yeah. Go Joe Kelly, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> I love that dude. But the one of the worst parts I found about all this is Apparently, Chris Woodward, who is the manager, I'm sorry, not Chris Woodward, that's the manager for Texas, but the manager for San Diego, reprimanded Fernando and, like, told him, he's like, hey, that's not how we do things or whatever, blah, blah, And Fernando apologized after the game. He's like, hey, uh, maybe the next in the situation the next time I, I won't do that. I didn't know, like, blah, blah, blah. And I know that it's just this kid. He's like, look, you know, some of the older people on the team told me that's maybe not the way we do things. And I would tell them to go screw themselves. Like, hey, I- I'm the superstar here. This is what I do. Here's the thing that pisses me off. I don't care how old school you are. I grew up a Braves fan, right? We had Bobby Cox. Everybody knows who Bobby Cox is if you know anything about baseball, right? One of the greatest managers of all time. Every player that ever played for Atlanta said, he's the one guy I wanted to play for, right? He was a player's manager. He has the all-time record for ejections because he protects his players, right? You know, he goes to battle for you. And I'll tell you this right now. Even if Bobby agreed with, like, you don't do that, which he probably would have. I mean, the guy's 80. You know, he's a little old school. He would have never, never not backed his player. Like, he would have backed his player publicly, right? And then he would have, you know, had a conversation in his office and been like, hey, like, maybe next time we approach this slightly differently or whatever, right? And not saying that's right or wrong, but, like, that's the way to handle it. If you're gonna do it, but when you're when you're the coach of this of the player reprimanding this reprimanding this guy, and you wonder why baseball has an image problem, and you wonder why younger kids aren't playing the game, like you you're telling them they can't have fun, like you're telling them they can't play the game in certain like that doesn't make sense, right? You know, and you can contrast that with you know other sports where players have more freedom, both you know on the the field or court or whatever, playing surface and and off of it. 
baseball definitely has a of a larger current of social conservatism in it. You know, yeah. In large part because it's a much older sport and has a lot of those things ingrained in it from a, a previous eras that were a lot less tolerant. Have you ever heard of the kangaroo court? It's a thing that happens in baseball. Uh, they nicknamed it the kangaroo court. I have not. So what it is, is it's how a team polices itself. So let's say you and I are on the same baseball team, right? And I miss curfew one night, do something. I do something stupid, right? That hurts the team. You like go to a strip club for chicken wings in the middle of a pandemic. Something, yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just pulling something random out of my head that maybe somebody may do. Dr- dr- Dress up some woman and say that she's a lineman for one of the football teams to try to get her in the team hotel. You know, like yeah. that's happened too or whatever. But anyway, you do something stupid like that, but you hurt the team. Generally, and they wouldn't like make this public. The team itself will come together and fine you or something. They will they will do something, right? Like, you know, generally like the older players on the team come together and they're yeah, like, hey. They'll handle it internally. Like, they'll handle it internally. If I was one of the older players on the team and this happened, I'd be fining my manager. I'd be I'd be having a conversation with my manager be like, dude, like you you can't come on, man. Like that kid is the future like he he's gonna be on the cover of video games. Yeah. You know what I mean? And here's like the funniest part about it. You, you kept hearing me say junior, right? Like Fernando Tatis Jr. Do you know that his dad is a famous baseball player as well? Yeah. Or was, right? He's famous for two things. One of which, uh hitting behind Mark McGuire a lot of the time when McGuire was going for the home run record. He's also famous for he's the only player in major league history to hit two grand slams in the same inning. He did it off the same pitcher. It was off uh, Chan Ho Park, who played for the Dodgers. This is while uh, Francisco Sr. is playing for the Cardinals. So it's funny that you're mad at this dude's son for being like his dad, (laughs) right? (laughs) Is that just like... Because here's the thing. Do you think he was supposed to just like take that pitch? Like I I can still remember it. I remember Chan Ho Park just like hangs a seam at mixing slider or like a a slow curve over the middle plate. Tossi just hits it 400 feet to left field, right? And I remember like, hey, why is Chan Ho Park still pitching in this game? Right? It was him or Hideo Nomo. I'm, I'm trying to remember which one, but um, uh, like I just can't believe that you're gonna get mad at this guy about this, and it's it's this guy's son, you know, that's famous for these two grand slams in one inning. It was just unbelievable to me that you could get mad about this, guy. and like it was actually a discussion. Like people were discussing this, and it's I thought it was great. On like Twitter, a lot of the big named players came out and they were like, "Tatis, like the only thing you did wrong here was apologize. Don't apologize next time." Yeah, this is ridiculous. All these fucking <laughs> crusty dudes with their jowls getting out of the woodwork. By the way, I really love the use of the word jowls. <laughs> it's like, that's a good one. But. They all have jowls. Everything, the Venn diagram of people that <laughs> okay. disagreed with Tati swinging at that pitch and people who have very large jowls is a perfect circle. Yeah, okay? yeah it's just a circle. Yeah. It's a perfect circle. Yeah. Oh, man. Um,. For people at home, just so you know, we are recording this quite late, so uh, Ross and I might get a little delirious as the show goes on, but we're having a little fun here. Um, also, we had a crazy conversation right before the, the thing started. Something I'm not going to bring up, I alluded to it, but something happened in baseball. I'm not going to, we're not talking about the show that just was utter lunacy happened right before the show, and I watched it happen live and was just laughing at the audacity and just ridiculousness of all of it, so... And just actually applauding a team for acting quickly and doing the right thing, but... Yeah, good for that. Um, yeah, good for them. Before we move on to Magic, though, sure, I, I sent you a link in our Discord, and mm-hmm. I want to make sure that you see this. It's a highlight okay. from today's Jazz game. Uh, I hope the the video audio doesn't come across. It, but we're it, do this well, anyway. 
turn. I don't know. Try to turn the sound. I, off. I, I muted it immediately. Yeah. So okay, Jokovic gets swatted. All right. But just look how emphatic it is. Yeah, it's it's it looked demoralizing. Yeah. I think his shoulders slumped. Hold on. Note that this is the end of the half. Does this have the full thing? Does it have the dunk after it? Uh, y- not yet. They're replaying. Yeah, I think this is just the Gobert swat. just like flexing on him. Oh yeah. So the, if you notice the the clock there is like you know near the end of the half. So the Jazz got the final possession after that was a shot clock violation, and Gobert gets an offensive rebound dunk put back to end the half. So those are the last two possessions of the half, and the narrative has been that like Jokic owns Gobert. Which has been he he's gotten the better of him this season. If you go back to last season, it's not true at all. Um, and while Jokic has put up numbers in these first two games, the big thing is that his assist numbers have been low, uh, and that's one of the big things that Gobert is cutting off. Um, but I just I don't know. It feels like ever especially it, it was happening even before the microphone incident at the start of the COVID epidemic that um, everybody just you know, claimed Rudy was overrated or, or, uh, you know, whatever. It really started with last year's Rocket Series where they actually played really good defense. And if you look at the numbers, Houston had some of its worst offensive games of the season, just back to back to back in the last three games of that series. Once the Jazz got their weird defensive scheme down, but they played the defensive scheme poorly and like Houston scored a lot of points and it was a weird looking scheme. So everybody thought it was ridiculous because they don't understand basketball. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but they basically played behind James Harden and let him get into the paint and just like was like okay you you can go challenge Rudy if you want to but we're going to play behind you so you can't hit the step back three that is has become a signature move and like there was a game where Harden started like 0 for 19 or something like that was like game 4 but or game 3 or, yeah it was game 3 and like the Jazz just shot like 22% on wide open threes for the entire series and lost three incredibly close games but for the first two games in order to make that defense work because Rudy's coming over to cover uh, Harden, you have to have somebody rotate down to cover Capella on the lob, who's their center, and then you have to, like, that that person's man has to rotate, and you get sent into these really uh, difficult defensive rotations. So the entire team has to work in concert, and if there's ever a breakdown at any point, as long as Houston's moving the ball, you're going to lose. And they it took them a couple games to get those rotations down, and the first two games it looked like, you know, it was just all lobs to Capella, and it looked like Gobert was getting owned, but it, it was just the back-end rotations that weren't working. Um but I just wanted you to see that highlight and hype my guys. Yeah, man, they were, they were. I mean, I, I got hyped from watching it. I am about to sneeze or also talk about something. Uh, segue us into the next section. Mm, no, I'm going to keep talking about the Jazz. Please, please don't. Oh yeah. Just segue us into the next So section. here's the thing. Oh god. The underrated Look, I'm, part I'm for, of these I'm for, two hold games. Hold on, I'm forcing down the sneeze. We're going into. We're going into the, magic <laughs> the, the underrated we're part of these back. two games has been Joe Ingles, who's put up 18 and 19, and like five or six assists in each of the games. But the key is that he was aggressively looking to shoot, and that was exactly what they needed. They needed him to be aggressive with Conley out because he's now their secondary ball handler. With Conley back in, he can be a little bit more passive. Hopefully, he still retains that aggressiveness because he's such a great shooter. Uh, but it's not as imperative. Um, and I'm, you know, again, just hyping my guys. All right. Uh, anyway, there was some magic play this weekend. Uh, the Orlando Magic did play, yes. They actually Shut they up. actually won game one against Milwaukee in a huge upset. Shut up. Anyway. Uh, there were some magic plays this weekend. There were multiple pioneer challenges. Plus, there was a mox that we don't have the actual results to, but we know who won and what they were playing. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let everybody in on it. It's not a surprise, and we'll get to it in just a minute uh, and why that is. But I'm actually pretty excited about some of the stuff that we're seeing here, and we're seeing some different stuff. But you and I definitely have some opinions on this format. But I want to talk about something cool that happened 
in the winning deck that won one of these. This is something we talked about. Uh, I'm not surprised that this is coming to Pioneer because I told you, hold on to your butts, this is coming. Teamer Reclamation won one of the Pioneer Challenges. Uh, are you surprised by this at all? Because this deck, this deck list is almost straight up standard. Yeah, um, you know, it really is just pretty much a standard deck, except for the sensors, right? And anger, and the, of, the anger of the gods, which like can be sort of any interactive spell. Um, and e- even the mana base is is almost a standard mana base outside of these rootbound crags, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's literally rootbound crag is the only thing that's different. Yeah. yeah. So this this deck is like. 90-something percent standard. 50 out of 60, so 83%. Not well, I mean, like, most of the sideboard is also standard legal. Let's do the math, Tan. Two oh, is it static okay. casters and an ether spouts, so that's some of the 12 out of 15. That's only 80%, so now we're already going down a little bit. So, right, so it's 85% standard. Well, it's, anyway. it's more like 82%. Shut up, Ross. I don't care about you and your math. Anyway, this deck... I'm not surprised that it won a tournament. I'm actually the thing I'm surprised about is we haven't seen it represented more. Um, I'm actually not surprised by either. Uh, I think a large part of if, even if this deck is good, there's just such a stigma around it. I think people are just kind of sick of wilderness reclamation. They're just like, I, I don't even and, want to touch this. I, I want to wash yeah, my hands. I honestly in it. think that's a, that's a real factor. You know, there are people that really just are they just don't want to see this deck. They don't want to play with it or against it, and it'll take a little bit for that t- stigma to wear off. Um, obviously, you know, the more a deck performs, the less people will care about that. Um, but for now, you know, they're trying other things. It's also a little bit weird to play what is, you know, pretty close to a standard deck in a much more powerful format. But, you know, let's be honest, this has been one of the more powerful standard environments, you know, in history. Let's say the last 20 years. So we cut out, you know, the 90s. Um, so it, it shouldn't be that surprising when placed into that context. And I think Wilderness Reclamation is actually pretty well positioned given the metagame we saw last week, which was dominated by more mid-range decks like Niv-Mizzet and Mono Green, you know, which is a little bit more aggressive, but still mid-range at heart. Uh, the Devotion deck and, the, you know, Wilderness Reclamation, the thing that it does, and it did this in Standard, is push out mid-range decks. It goes way over the top of them. You know, Niv-Mizzet, you can draw your six cards because I'm going to fucking kill you, you know? Yeah. Uh, or, you don't or, care what the other deck's doing as long as they don't kill you. Yeah. When you're untapping with Wilderness Reclamation and you're making, you know, 10 to 15 mana on turn 5 or 6 or turn 4, 5 or 6, it doesn't really matter what your opponent's doing as long as you have any life total. Yeah. And and this is kind of what, um, you know, that we talked last week about the Just Guy Fires Luka deck. You know, that's a deck that in in effect is making, you know, 15 mana on turn 5. When it, when it like, untaps with fires and goes, like, spell Yorian, plink my fires, play another spell, like, you, you, and then, you know, play a Luka, put in an agent, steal your thing, you know, you've made a million mana. Yeah. And that, that's going to be, you know, that, that and that, that was kind of plays just put you so far ahead, uh, almost gave your deck a kind of combo feel, uh, while still being interactive and able to play that kind of game as well. Uh, so not that surprising to see this deck do well to me. It, it feel it's in that same vein in my mind as, as the Just Guy Luka deck, um, but you know probably a little bit better against like counter spells. You have your own counters for Dispute Main. We see in this list, um, you know, and so that's going to make you a lot better against a deck like Spirits that was popular last week, um, and uh, you know different other ways to to exploit these mid range decks, which is cheap counter spells. Dispute also great against Bring to Light and Niv Mizzet. So. Mm. Um, I think that inter- if you were trying to resolve these like five mana and six mana creatures and sorceries, yeah, just a three mana yeah. counterspell is just good enough. 
even if it's even if it's not blue. Yeah, th- you know, this deck's a little bit are. less. Uh, it's a little less stable, I would say, than the uh, the Jeskai deck. Jeskai, this deck has a little bit more moving pieces that it needs to assemble in order to really fire on every cylinder. But as a consequence or as a trade off, you get to play way better interaction, and you're better positioned against the interaction that other people are playing. And I like that trade off. Yeah, if you're a standard player looking to transition into Pioneer or you know, your deck got banned in standard. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what to do with it. Here's a thing for you. Especially I mean, it's still good enough. Standard player. This yeah, is one so. of the places where it would be really help if we had Pioneer on Arena. You could yeah, make no, that right? transition well, real real quick. We'll see, we'll see what happens when they start giving us Pioneer. I think it's going to be a different version of Pioneer, by the way. I don't think we're going to have all the Pioneer legal cards. But anyway, um, I'm going to skip over the second and third place decks because they're decks that we've seen, we've talked about. You really wanted to talk about this fourth place deck because this is one of the stories of the weekend. This deck... Kind of coming out a little bit out of nowhere and, you know, putting up some good results in more than just one copy of it, making it into these top eights, and that's uh, Esper Yorian Control. Yeah, and, and this deck is all, always already, or also, that's the word, oof, also in eighth place in this challenge and in fourth place in the second challenge in the weekend. So three top eights out of 16 slots here for a deck that really wasn't on anyone's radar up until this weekend. So uh, I, I think there were decks like this back in the Companion era, these like removal yeah. heavy Yorian decks, uh, but they've you know come back this weekend in a big way, and the formula is pretty clear here. You know, it's got eight discard spells, a pile of spot removal in Othakaya, Trial of Ambition, Fatal Push, uh, and this one eliminate. We got four Supreme Verdicts, you know, Elspeth Conquers Death, a bunch of ca- a bunch of Planeswalkers, and Yorian as your primary means of card advantage. Uh, you know, along with Teferi and Narset, but Yorian is really the big one here. And so the, it's clear that this deck is targeting creatures. It's going to be very good against aggro decks. It's going to be very good, uh, I think, against mono green devotion because you have ways to remove planeswalkers, um, you know, and supreme verdict to just clear away huge swaths of their battlefield all in one go. Um, so I, I would pr- like that matchup from the Yorian side, but it's clear that you know you're not going to be particularly good in matchups where your creature removal is bad. You don't want to play against Lotus Field. You don't want to play against Azorius Control. You don't even probably don't even want to play against Niv Mizzet. Yeah, I can see that. I'm, I'm just I'm thinking about this versus Mono Green because we're going to talk about how that I found that you and I both believe that that is now the boogeyman of the format. That is now the best deck. And I think about how <clears throat> Elspeth Conquers Death matches up in that in that matchup as long as they don't you know bang one out as soon as possible in the play and you just have no answer for it. But like with Thoughtseize, Thought Erasure, Elspeth Conquers Death, and then ways to Blink your Elspeth Conquers deck with Yorian. I gotta believe that you can go toe to toe with that deck over the span of a few turns, as long as, as I said, your draw doesn't match up well against theirs. And I have another question for you: Is Yorian the best five mana sorcery ever printed? Do you get what I'm trying to ask there? Is there an obvious one that? You... Well, do you get what I'm trying to ask there? Like, yeah. is, is it the best? Yeah, the it's like it feels blocker. like this. Well, yeah, it feels like the you know just the effect it has on the game in the in the deck that you build around it when you cast it and you get these triggers it just might be one of the best of all time well i mean i don't think it would be that would be true in the current companion rule i think that's only really a discussion pre companion but maybe not like you know i i when i think five mana planeswalkers it's nissa it's Teferi here of dominaria um Five mana sorceries, that kind of... The weird thing is that, like, gets, that gets you out of that, like, Yawgmoth's Well Tinker range. Like, it's also... It's kind of weird. When people ask me these questions, I think it, oftentimes the, the common answers are short-sighted in the sense that they take the question to mean, 
which five mana sorcery is best in the most powerful formats. And that's not what I think is a very instructive way to answer the question. And that's true of any question of this sort, right? You know, people will ask, what's the best one drop of all time? What's the best blue instant of all time? Like, you know, and they'll just think about ones that are really good in vintage or really good in legacy. Right, yeah. And the the reality is magic changes a lot when you have a format with a high density of good cheap interaction um, and, and it becomes all about those cheap spells um, and the expensive cards get significantly worse. But that's why you see, you know, specific cards that are staples in Legacy and Vintage not see any play in ostensibly less powerful formats. Because the reality, it's not just about power level, it's about contextual power level. Magic is always about context. And a lot of people miss that. So... When I think of, you know, most powerful cards of all time, I try to balance how good a card is in older formats with how good a card is in different standard environments that it's been in. So, you know, is Yorian a card that... Yorian's a card that is seen play in, you know, across competitive formats. So that's a big, you know, uh, mark in its favor. And even with the new companion rule, it has seen play in, uh, in Modern and Pioneer, honestly, a little bit less in Standard. Uh, since the bans that happened, but it led to some bans under the, the old companion rule, and that's a mark in its favor too. So it's it's definitely in the conversation. Um, but I, I would be... I think I would be hard-pressed to put it over Teferi Hero of Dominaria, um, which, while it didn't lead to a ban, was, you know, one of the format-defining cards during its entire time in Standard. Um, and, you know, has seen significant play in older formats as well. But... Pre-companion rule, Yorian's probably ahead of it. And I'm having a hard time thinking of other options. Like, Plow Under is a really good one. Come on now, that's not even the same league. Let's be real. Um, Alright, I didn't mean for this question to take this long or to be this in-depth. Like it was kind of know. me I'm, being a little... I'm sure uh, there are obvious ones I'm missing. I'm just bad being, at like was, coming up with the, the list. Yeah, I was just saying I was a little more tongue-in-cheek when saying this. Uh, this card is really powerful. You can't, in fact, you that, can't like, be tongue-in-cheek with me, Tannen. You know I'm just going to take you literally just, and go down I'm the rabbit hole. Realize, yeah, I'm starting to realize I could just never talk to you as a human being. Ever, <laughs> but I treat you as a freaking robot. But anyway, um, I like this deck a lot. I think it's really cool. Uh, I, I can see myself playing a deck like this. I, I love Yorian. I love these kinds of decks. I love all the enchantment stuff. I'm actually super, I actually super really like one of the cards in the sideboard that they have here. They have a Command the Dreadhorde. And I'm thinking about that in these matchups that go really long, either like mirror-ish matches or like the Niv-Mizzet matchups where you, you know, the games are going to go super long. And it gives you that other Haymaker that you can cast. And I'll tell you this, this deck does a good job at casting Niv-Mizzet. Like, it's still got a, a good bit of hits. Yeah, you got a, got a decent number of hits there. Yeah, uh, that, that is a, a nice Haymaker. And Yeah, those uh, four Graph Diggers Cage look really important out of the sideboard too. Kind of, you know, setting yourself up for these decks that we, we thought would be pretty good coming out of, you know, coming into, into the format, all these new bands that happen. So definitely set up to, to be successful in that kind of format. Um, what are the other decks that we wanted to talk about that did well in this event? It came in at seventh place. And this is a deck that's probably had the most hype behind it coming into the event this week. Um, if you were keeping up on Twitter, uh, LSV was playing this deck. Some other people were doing really well in events. And this is Jund Bolas Citadel. Yeah, I, I said that. Jund Bolas Citadel. This deck is really cool, Ross. This one looks right up your alley. I know I, I sent the deck to you on, what, like Monday or something like that? Something or maybe like over that. the weekend? I, I, had, I had had this uh, in a bookmarked window last week or something when it, when yeah. it first started popping up a little bit. But 
Definitely a really sweet deck, and I think this is the reason that you saw all those Grafdigger's Cages in the Orient sideboard. Uh, because this is a deck that could just ignore all of that removal, cast a bolus to Citadel, and kill you uh, if you're not putting any pressure on them. So definitely a scary matchup in that regard. Um, but the, the deck, I've now I've played a, one league with it, and I for funsies earlier this week, and I played it on Versus Live. So you know I have six matches with it, very small sample. Um, I didn't come away like incredibly impressed by the deck, outside of it is unbelievably good at using Bolas as Citadel. Like, I don't think the deck was really impressed with you either. So let's be fair. <laughs> it, it, it it's a good deck, um, and I'm sure I I made some mistakes both in sideboarding and how I was playing it. There was one game against Corey actually where I cast an end step collected company, and I had like two creatures in the battlefield, right? You know, and I, I know I I literally adjust a man devil. Because my, my priest got discarded. And so I, I cast Mame Devil on three. I drew Collected Company. I'm like, sweet. You know, play land four, go. Um, and, you know, Corey had a Languish, apparently, and didn't cast it because all I had was a Mayhem Devil. And I cast Collected Company, and Corey did not untap. And I, it, sounds, I, it sounds about right. I didn't hit anything. Abs- I hit, like, Gilded Goose Woe Strider. And that was enough to just end the game. Because I played, like, Woe Strider, second Mayhem Devil, attacked for six. And, you know, had enough to kill them just in one shot. So that, that was pretty impressive. Um, I I think the, the curve of the deck is a little bit wonky to where, like, you really need a turn one mana creature. That was one of the things that got to me, especially in matchups where Priest isn't good. Because, you know, Zulpark Cutthroat is, like, is just not a very good two-drop. Uh, not a card you ever really want to be playing early. So that was the one thing I noticed. But it is a very... I cannot say enough about how ridiculous Bolas Citadel is in this deck. You you either win that turn or you untap and win. And if you, you know, it's so it's unbelievable with Bowstrider. Like if you ever have Bowstrider and a reasonable number of creatures, they are definitely dead as long as you have enough life. Like it, it really is just unbelievable. And that's where the real you know overpowering strength lies because. These decks usually are pretty good against aggro decks because you got a lot of cheap creatures, a lot of incidental life gain. The Junlists have Mayhem Devil to start spreading damage around. You know, you side in a little bit of extra removal, and you're you're pretty good. Uh, and in against control decks, you're often not able to assemble the sacrifice synergies, so you have to rely on being this kind of mediocre beatdown deck. And you get a little scrappy deck. Yeah, you get really scrappy. You get incidental card advantage with, you know, Collected Company, with Woe Strider, with different, you know, Catacomb Sifter, Blister Pod, these different two-for-one kind of body cards, but it's not that high impact. And you just, like, chip shot them over and over and over again. You keep recovering from their sweepers, and eventually you find a way to, like, limp over the finish line. But, you know, that kind of game plan has gotten less and less effective in the last three or four years as cards have, you know, just got a little bit more powerful. And, you know, people just aren't playing decks that don't turn the corner well anymore. Like, you, you don't see a lot of hard control decks of the old ilk, uh, you know, that win 20 turn games regularly. There's always that Dream Trawler or that Uro that comes down and slams the door shut. And so it makes playing that kind of scrappy game a lot harder. Uh, at least if you don't have access to quality disruption to deal with whatever those threats are to stop them from turning the corner. Uh, so having a card like Bolas of Citadel that you can game plan for and your opponent has to game plan for. So now, like, you know, normally against a deck like this, you would just have, you know, 
all the best disruption for these cheap creatures. Now you've got to have something specifically for Citadel. Your counter spells probably aren't great. Tagging it with a discard spell isn't reliable because they're going to have time to draw into another copy. So that's why you're seeing a, a, an increase in these Graft Diggers cages because that not only shuts off Bolas to Citadel, it shuts off Collecting Company. And is not only the escape on most riders. So, you know, that's three important things. Cage is quite good against this deck. Uh, you know, I see in the sideboard two copies of Raska Golgari Queen. I expect you will see these decks sideboard more cards that answer Grafdigger's Cage in the coming days and weeks. Uh, because that seems to be the, and for good reason, the, the chosen hate card. But whenever I see Wizards reprint cards like Grafdigger's Cage into a core set, I always get wary. I'm always like, damn it. That means something like they know they need this. You know what yeah. I mean? They know that this needs to be here because we're going to have stuff like this in this format. You know, they saw stuff like Bolas Citadel coming, you know, and not just in Pioneer and Standard and stuff too. So Yeah, I mean, Bolas Citadel has been a good card in Standard. It was a part of the Esper Hero decks. Um, you know, it's just a good, this is a good card. Now we're seeing decks utilize it that actually just kill you instead of using it as a card advantage engine. You know, these decks use that tap ability and just fucking dead you it is it is <laughs> disgusting what this deck does with bolus citadel absolutely uh i kind of want to move on to the next pioneer challenge one by kind of old faithful the, the, i think what we're going to see is this deck might just stand the test of time in pioneer and it might just be here for a while and it's just niv mizzet reborn right just another niv mizzet deck winning this tournament nothing you haven't really seen before but there is a card in here that we haven't seen before there's one in the main and one in the sideboard and you kind of liked it uh which card was that ross it is Cheville, Bane of Monsters. I wanted you to pronounce the name. I uh, I always mess it up. Uh, you know, when in doubt, I default to stressing the penultimate syllable of words. Um, I just I just say it really fast with like kind of mush mouth, so you can't really tell if I was saying it right or wrong. Sure, that's another way to do it. If you have hey, no conviction, I'm a southerner. We can't we can't pronounce big words. Okay, it's not a very big word. Shut up. It's also probably just a made-up word. I, I don't know if it's derived from anything. You're, you're a made-up word. Anyway. Actually, Ross means from the peninsula. Well, <laughs> you're too much tonight. <laughs> you're actually just, you're just too much tonight. But uh, anyway, uh, this is a card that you were uh, super excited about in certain matchups. Uh, hold on. I'm looking up Cheville to see if it's an actual word. There's a oh word from God. French that's Cheville but ends with an E. And it's a poetry term, a word or phrase whose only function is to make a sentence metrically balanced. That's probably not where they get the name of this. You think someone might be into French poetry at Wizards? Mm. I don't know, maybe. I've been reading poetry recently. I've been reading it to uh, Rob to make him repeat various lines that I've memorized on Versus Live, just to try to okay. trip him up. Okay. Yeah. That's really random, but sure. But I, I like me some good poetry. Okay. Why'd you like this card? Let's talk mm. about that. <laughs> just really trying hard to keep me on track oh yeah it's people don't understand that this is the hardest part of my job doing this <laughs> podcast this is why i'm here is i'm one of the few people who's capable of keeping up with you and ringing and reining you in okay without without res resorting I, I i now know why todd yelled at you so much i get it <laughs> anyway continue. I, I think i've gotten worse since todd left i think because i i cory doesn't really know how to stop me yeah. Um, so I, I'm a little bit more empowered now that I'm the senior member of the team. You, you hear me, SCG? If you need someone to babysit Ross, just to take care of him, make sure things go right. I'm right here. I, I don't cost that much. We could we could figure something out. <laughs> oh, by the way, Fernando Tatis Jr. just hit another home run. Anyway, continue. What was the count? Uh, shut up. It was early <laughs> in the game. So Cheville Bane of Monsters, you know. Regardless of its status as a you know gold card that you can hit off of Nimbus, it 
is a an early roadblock that is quite good against the aggressive decks. That one three body is really what you're looking for against mono black in particular because all their one drops uh, don't attack into it. They need scrap heap scrounger. Um, you know, obviously like that extra card advantage it provides uh, is really nice. And the removal spells that are good against Cheville are not good against the rest of your deck. Like, it's hard to leave in fatal push against them. Um, so often it, it's going to live. The red removal doesn't really kill it except for lightning strike. Uh, you know, it survives all the shocks. So uh, it, it's well-sized for the format in a deck that isn't worried about opposing fatal pushes. Um, so that works really well. But it is also just, you know, a fine card in the non-aggressive matchups. In these mid-range mirrors against mono green, Devotion in particular, you know, it's a card that comes down, can play a little defense when it needs to, but actually starts gaining you significant card advantage. And this is a deck that wants to get to the late game. So I think it actually looks really good in this deck. And I'm surprised this is the first time I'm seeing it. Big fan of it here. I like trimming down on Deathrite Shaman. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we see this trend continue and we just see fewer Deathrite Shamans and more Shevils. Um, because it, it really does seem great to me in this deck. Uh, also nice that it... Oh, I guess it actually... I was going to say it's a 1-3, so it doesn't die to Solar Blaze, but it has Death Touch, so it does. It does. Yeah, they deal <laughs> damage to themselves. That, yeah. That's kind of a tilt. Um, kind of surprised to see... Two Solar Blaze, one Hour of Devastation, zero Extinction Event here. And I know I've liked I've liked the one of Extinction Event, but they seem really high on Solar Blaze. Like you see two more on the sideboard, so four in the seventy-five. It's pretty strong. So for whatever reason, they 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 want to uh, they want a Solar Blaze. Love these Shark Typhoons in the sideboard, by the way. People are bringing in counter spells in this matchup all the time. Really, really good card to have against counters. Great Mana Sink and a deck with a million lands. Um, so just looks like a you know well-built version of this deck. And this is a deck that you do have to tinker with every week. You know, with Bring to Light, your tutor targets matter. So you're going to change three, four, five cards every single week. Keep up to date. Uh, looks like this is what this person did. And, uh, you know, they were rewarded. Absolutely. Uh, one of the other interesting things that went on in this top eight is uh, Black White Auras actually made a, a little bit of an appearance here. Got into fifth place with, uh, you know, the Luris Companion Black White Aura's deck going on, and uh, is it is this something worthy? Do you, do you think this is a deck that could see its way back in at some point? Before Loras was printed, this was a tier two deck. You know, it occasionally popped up. I think that's what it is at this point. Again, so since Loras got nerfed, this was a week that it it popped up. It's a tier two deck. Sometimes it top eights. I don't know. I don't know what like this. There's nothing new about this list. This is the same, basically the same list people have been playing. It just seems like someone, you know, had this list from before they woke up early that morning. They're like, oh, there's a Pioneer Challenge. I guess I'll just play. Yeah. Or they're just a person that hasn't ever put down the deck because they love it. And they, you know. Also did, a, did a cool well. thing. Probably one of those two things. Mm-hmm. Now the thing we kind of glossed over here. The deck that did really well over the weekend. A lot of top finishes. It actually won the mocks in the hands of, uh, what was his, what was his uh, real name? I keep forgetting. Devin O'Donnell. Devin O'Donnell. Um you may recognize him from, we talked about him last week on the show, doing quite well with Mono Green. Uh, he won the Mox this weekend with Mono Green yet again. Um, you and I both kind of agree. I, I think this is just, it's got to be, quote unquote, like the boogeyman, you know, the, the best deck yeah, of the format. Last week it was Niv Visit, right? It was the best performing with like eight copies in the top 16s, I think, or top 32s. Here we see Mono Green winning that Mox playoff, which, you know, 
it was a small event, but it's a dense event. You know, a lot of great players. That top eight had Tigo Saparito, uh, Gabriel Nassif. It had uh, Tommy Ashton, who's Stainerson on MTGO, great player. Um, so, you know, a lot of talent there. So even though it's a small event, he takes it down with Mono Green, a deck that I'm sure everyone who was in that event was prepared for. So, you know, he just showed up with the same deck and beat up a room that, that knew he was coming. Uh, so that makes it even more impressive. There were five total copies in the top eight of these two challenges. You know, zero trophies here in the challenges, but two second place finishes. So, you know, just barely uh, falling short in both of these events. So, you know, Mono Green is the clear number one deck from this week. And like you said, I'm not surprised. I think this deck, um, relative to Nivmism, might be a little flashier. And, you know, it's a little bit more versatile because it has that, that, heavy disruptive element to it but there's a level of consistency now with oath of nissa that mono green has that really makes it scary because it's doing really powerful things you know and it's doing very proactive things it'll punish you if you stumble it will you know go over the top with certain draws where you have an early nissa and you generate a ton of uh, extra mana or an early nykthos sometimes both um so it has these ways to just bury you in games and do it early but it can also win a long game so it has versatility, even though it's not disrupting its opponent very much outside of, you know, Nissa minusing and Karn fetching some stuff. So there, there's still that versatility and being able to win different styles of games all in the same shell. But it really is consistency that impresses me about this deck. It does very similar things every game. It's tough to disrupt. Like I, I was playing the Sacrifice deck against them. I was on the draw. I had turn two Mayhem Devil, you know, turn three... Act, I triggered Mayhem Devil once and killed a mana creature. They generated six mana on the next turn, and like I just couldn't do anything about it. It was just got just got buried by Anissa, and so the, the the deck is both. You know, we know about the value of the Planeswalkers, but I don't think people quite understand just how fast this deck can be. Like you can end games on turn four and five with this deck if you have a good draw, and that, that kind of pressure that it puts on opponents is really valuable. Uh, and a really underrated part of this deck's game. And now with Oath of Nessie, you just get those powerful, aggressive starts more often than you otherwise would. Yeah, absolutely. And for, for me, for, for the money, I think this is the like the best deck or the best tier zero deck for people getting into the format. Uh, I think it's relatively easy enough for you to kind of get into and play and like learn its sequencing and stuff. Like It's not super confusing. Um, you're doing something very powerful uh, most of your turns, which I think is something you should always be looking forward in a magic deck, uh, you know, I do like some of these decks that are reactive and stuff, right? Don't get me wrong, but this is one of the decks where you kind of want to be on the right end of it, where you're just constantly pressuring your opponent and making them have to have the right answer. So when you're preparing for a Pioneer tournament right now, th this is one of, like, the two decks you're guaranteed to play against. Yeah. This and Niv-Miz are the highest represented decks by far, and these are the two that you're going to play against because they are two of the best. And if you're, uh, if you're new to the format, one of the nice things about this deck is you don't really have to sideboard. So you get to kind of learn what other people are doing and learn the matchups without the pressure of like, what the hell do I do now when you're staring at your 15 after game one? Just shuffle up the same 60 and go. I had a really funny uh, joke with Aspiring Spike when he made this deck, right? And he was like playing with it online and stuff. And I was like, I was like, asking him, like, hey, do you think it's legit? And he's like, I think it's the best deck in Pioneer. You don't know who he's, but you know, he's playing it. And he's like, it's very, very good. And I joked to them, I was like, you should make... Uh, a Patreon tier or whatever, you know, that a lot of people do about the, like the, you remember there was that big discourse on Twitter about paying for sideboard guides, you know, yeah. paying $3. I was like, you should make a $3 sideboard guide for this deck. 
like just as a joke to see how many people would actually still do it. And, you know, he thought it was pretty funny. It's something he wouldn't do. It's something I would as a joke or whatever, but it's pretty great. Like you don't ever actually, you know, the thing is they have a card or two in their sideboard that could maybe see bring it in, but not really like ever. I I don't think you ever actually sideboard this deck. And it's one of the things that interests me because we've talked about this before on the show. I'm wondering if that's a way to do it. I think if ever a deck gets really popular in the format, you can devote like three sideboard slots to it or four to make a four of, and then you can trim down on the other stuff. Cause I, I can't see myself wishing for some of these cards all the time. And you can maybe make a legit sideboard. You're like, I just want these four in cause I want to draw them in like my opening hand kind of thing. You know, if cage just becomes like the best card in the format or something, you know, like that kind of thing. But you know, and even then you'd only put three in your deck, right? You'd still want one for a Karn target yeah. for, for, for I, tutoring. So I know, you know, months ago, when this list was first being uh, popularized, different people would sideboard Heaven Earth just for the Heaven side, which is like a hurricane that doesn't hit players because their spirits matchup they felt was really bad. Um, a little surprised to see not a lot of spirits around in this tournament with Mono Green doing well. Um, and that's a that's that's a thing, right? Is it is it held down by Niv Mizzet? You know, is Niv Mizzet just a hard magic for you? Or I, I like, don't think there... so. I, I think it might just be one of those things I, where spirits probably lack. Where well, where spirits definitely lacks it is in the aggro matchups, which are still around for sure. Like you, you still see Mono Black here. Um, it probably doesn't match up well against the Jun Sacrifice deck. I think if a Mayhem Devil resolves, you're probably not winning. Yeah, but outside of Mayhem Devil, like how, how much do they have to really a- interact with you? You know, Bolas' Citadel can be hard to counter, but you're pressuring their life total. I would have to play that matchup a bit because I could see it going either way. But given that we didn't see a lot of spirits this week, that could be suggested that maybe that matchup isn't that good. Because if you go down through the top 32s of these challenges, you see a lot of sacrifice. It really is the big breakout deck of the weekend. Uh, so that it's clear that there's something there. You know, the, the synergies it develops are really, really powerful. Uh, you know, I think of sacrifice decks that have existed over the last, you know, five, six years. And in the standard, it's, there's usually a couple key cards that they're built around. And it feels like this version of the deck, in addition to having that super powerful Bolas to Citadel plan, uh, which is less a plan and more just the one card being awesome. It's really just filled with all of the best of the different elements that have been in sacrifice decks over the last five or six years in standard like catacomb sifter was a really underrated card in when it was around in standard and it actually saw play in multiple different decks but in all of those bad company uh cryptolith rights decks catacomb sifter was like far and away the best card blister pod is just a classic you know one mana i get two one ones card these decks always want something like that Doom Traveler is probably the best one printed in the last decade, but that's just outside of Pioneer and wouldn't fit in this deck's colors anyway. But that's nice. You get really good mana acceleration. That's always, you know, uh, really valuable. You have multiple different drain effects, including Mayhem Devil, which is the best one. Uh, You know, Woe Strider, which is a free sack outlet that keeps coming back. You know, that's a card that I think is perennially underrated in the current standard. And one of the reasons I don't like Luris as a companion in the Rakdos Sacrifice deck, which some lists play, is it really access to Most Rider. Uh, at this point, if you read my article from this week, I, I actually don't like Mayhem Devil very much in standard without Cat Oven, but Woe Rider is still just super good. And then Priest of Forgotten Gods, which just dominates aggressive decks. Especially decks like Orzov Auras and Boros Heroic, which are still around. They're not super popular, but... I played against Boris Heroic for this deck, and I untapped the turn two priest. 
The game was not remotely close. I did lose a game because I failed to notice that I had somehow clicked away my stop on their declare blockers step and skipped through it twice, missing like two or three scries and four mayhem devil triggers. Yeah. <laughs> just not like at first I thought I had just accidentally hit one, one too many times, like double tap the one key and skip through it. And then the second time it happened, I was like, oh fuck. I just like clicked at some point earlier in the game and got rid of this stop somehow. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't priest's fault, but priest, uh, Priest messes up some creature decks, so it really is like there's no there's no weak link here, like you've often seen in sacrifice decks in in different formats. Uh, in addition to like there being no weak link, there's also Bolas of Citadel, which I I keep harping on, but really it's impossible to understate how fucked up that card is in this deck. We we get it, Ross. We get it. You like Bolas of it Citadel? Is fucked up. Yeah. It's not okay. You, okay, how about it's not okay. You like it? We get it. All right. Uh, I gotta say, pretty easy overview of what happened in pioneers weekend but i think it's cool right like we got a new deck you know really the john sacrifice decks. decks the Or yeah. Orion and, and yeah well the, or the Orion one like it's new like quote unquote new but like we got an actual like factual like this is a deck we haven't seen before it's playing four boar citadel yeah. people have wanted a jun deck in pioneer for quite a while you know it's like they i feel like out of classic decks from like standard and modern that one's been underrepresented you know we've had like azorius decks we've had esper you know we've had you know, all the other color combinations, but uh, of the kind that have just been around forever since the wedges and stuff started happening, that this is the one that, if people have been trying to make Jund happen, it just hasn't. Yeah, it's really always been, been like weird Jund midrange decks. There were some yeah. Jund Luris decks in the companion era, but they just haven't really worked, mainly because, like, Luris is so messed up that if you're playing a midrange deck, not uh, Uro, that, like, you should be playing Uro. Um, so you really need some, you need a very specific draw to Jund and, you know, the, the sacrifice synergies and Bolas of Citadel, uh, the, that's a draw. Yeah, absolutely. So pretty cool stuff going on in Pioneer right now. Um, let's say I'm looking forward to, try, you know, giving some of these newer decks a spin. I was watching someone play the sacrifice deck the other night. It, like, makes my head hurt. You know, things are like, oh, like, it's like watching people play Affinity back in the day where they had to, you know, do all the Ravager math and then, like, oh, do I have a Disciple of the Vault or not? So it's like, they're doing the math w with or without, you know, which which drain effect do they have? Like you said, do I have Mayhem Devil? Do I have Zerport Cutthroat? Like, do I start going for creatures? Do I start going for face? Like, can I kill them over the span of two turns? Or do I need to buy myself another turn by killing one of their creatures and stuff? And it's one of those decks that, if you put in the time and effort, right, this is a deck that's very rewarding. Yeah, it's very mechanically intricate. Yeah, you're going to need to do that, especially when I play this in paper, because you cannot miss triggers with this deck. Yeah. And I love playing decks like that. Often, oh, like, yeah. your opponents aren't fully aware of what you can do. This of is your, the whole thing like with the Legacy Elves back in the day. Yeah. You just, like, you just got people so bad when they just didn't realize the things that your deck was capable of. I was I made a big, I remember a big level-up moment in Legacy when I started figuring out the ranges of decks from certain spots, and, like, figuring out, like, which Elves I really need to interact with and which I didn't, or... Can I give them another turn? Yeah. Like, what's, like, yeah, you know, kind of thing. And I, I think that's that's big with this deck. Um, it, it's kind of weird to not see it have, with, with how it was how much it was represented, there was a decent amount of people playing this deck. I wanted to see a higher finish from it, you know, kind of have, like, that splashy weekend, because, you know, this is, like, a, the breakout deck of the weekend, you know, or one of the breakout decks of the weekend. It didn't have, like, a first or second place, but I do think that this deck is a contender, for sure. Maybe, maybe not, like, tier zero, you know what I mean? But but close enough that 
you need to respect this deck. You're going to play against it. And a lot of big uh, named players are streaming with it right now and showing it off. Like this deck's for real. It's very powerful. Kind of like it. And if, if you're if you're a standard player, like you're coming from standard, or even if you play on Arena for when Pioneer is there, you might already have most of this deck. So and then, you just and have to find the random uncommons from old sets. Oh, yeah. Zilber Cutthroat's not a cheap card, by the way. I don't know if you know this. That card's actually like 5 or $10 randomly. Probably because it's an ally. It's a commander card. Oh, God. Yeah. So well, the the random commander cards showing up in a constructed. I'm not saying anything bad about them. I play commander myself. Just every now and then I'll I'll try to get a card oh, for a deck, and someone's like, they're like, yeah, that card's seventeen dollars. I'm like, what? It's not in any constructed deck. They're like, yeah, but it's in every commander deck. Yeah, it's the, like, have you seen the price of Cyclonic Rift? Yeah, and uh, what was the one we were heroic intervention? The one we were yeah, talking heroic about is just a ten dollar card at like all times because <laughs> of commander. Yeah, it shows up every now and then in cyborg deck, and then you and I lament it every time. Kind of thing. And like that's another thing too, like. It's like you said, we talked about, it, like, where's where's Spirits? I expect to see Spirits more as we get, you know, that's a deck I love to play. I love that kind of deck, and, I mean, it's if Mono Greens is good. In, in the first challenge, so it was knocking on the door here. Um, another a, a blue-white list. Notably, we do not see the Simic list. So the Simic list might have been a flash in the pan. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know if anybody's going to... I don't know if the Simic one's going to stay around unless that person keeps playing Simic and doing well with it. Because I think people will just gravitate towards the... I think the people will just gravitate towards the Azorus one because it's like a very safe version of the deck. It's been around for so long. Oh, yeah. Though so 21st is in the X3 bracket in this event. So, yeah, the the, the challenges still aren't getting huge attendance. I see that these are... Although, actually, this, this was an 8-rounder. No, no, 7-rounder, of course. They're X1. So, there's still 7 rounds... Um, I'll be really happy the first time we see a Pioneer Challenge get back into eight rounds. Because they've been pretty consistently seven-rounders, like 100 people-ish uh, for the last couple weeks. Which is, you know, better than them not firing at all. But this one yeah. has the X2 bracket going down to 19th. That's actually a good sign. That means it probably got pretty close to eight rounds. It means this Yeah, is... I, th I think you're going to start seeing it soon. So, uh, you know, the, the metagame looks great. We glossed over several decks, and they were mostly the aggro decks of the format. You know, like Bird and Mono Black. We talked about Auras, but there's that wide swath of aggro decks. You know, there's, you know, different sort of niche engine decks like Sacrifice and, you know, Lotus Field and the, you know, Yorian Fires deck. There's interactive midrange decks. There's the Mono Green Devotion deck if you want to really play to the battlefield. Uh, but be pretty versatile in how you're approaching the games. We saw LSV Top 8 last week with the Zorius Control. That's still around. Uh, you can be really anti-aggro control with the Espriorian deck. So a lot of different options, both in terms of just raw you know, archetype count, but also the diversity of the strategies that these archetypes employ. Uh, uh, it's, been, it's been great to see Pioneer get back to you know, being an actual fun, diverse format. Absolutely. Super excited about that. You know what else I'm excited about? What? Some of these mailbag questions this week are great. I think we should do some of those. Okay. I'm ready. So, what? Did you say hooray, or are you not I excited said, about I'm this? I'm ready. Oh, I thought you said, like, a very hooray. No. Like, you know, like the... Do you want to you go with the first one? Do you have them up? Yeah, yeah, I can read it. Go ahead. This one is from Revan Christ. It says, based on recent Simic Mythics, Wizards comes out with another push to Simic Landfall creature... <coughs> Excuse me. In, Zen in Zendikar Rising. What's the first idea that comes to your head? Um, 
I would think something kind of like along the lines of Uro, not exactly what it does, but something that involves either lands, drawing cards, or gaining life. Like, that seems to be what they've been doing in Zimic for the longest time now, so I would think it of along either uh, some card advantage engine or some land advantage engine. Yeah, I, I would think some sort of tireless tracker-esque card. Oh, God, where the please. landfall generates card advantage in some way, but probably something that's more flavorful to this specific set. But uh, that's that's where my mind goes, and you know we know how good Tireless Tracker was. It's, it's that, or um, it's going to be... I know you said pushed, but let's say it's not pushed. It's going to be more along the lines of give target creature plus one plus one and flying. Or something, you know? Like, yeah, plus one plus one and counter, uh, counter creature gets flying. You know, something along those lines. Like, some kind of mystical ability type thing and you know so it's not just oh another blue green mythic that is a you know must have four of like play around card or whatever so it could also be like a, a busted engine card you know, can, yeah can you imagine like a two minute enchantment that has landfall for something that you just like follow up with cultivate an arrow every game and just pull way far ahead please no just just please no so like if that does happen i don't know how rotation happens with that hopefully it doesn't happen for too long you know, hope it's not just what's going to go on for two years. I mean, we get rotation every fall, Tannen. So yeah. if they print hey, man, something busted in Zen Rising, it'll either get we'll banned see. or we'll see. They change their idea. They change their mind on that stuff all the time. Well, the set's already finalized, so I don't know. All right, uh, the next one is from Lee McLeod. Love the questions from him, and this is a good one. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna judge you harshly on your answer to this question. All right, if I change you to a table with seven other people for 24 hours and then force you to play only one draft format. Which draft format would it be? Cube is disqualified. So first, I have to ask, why the hell are you chaining me to a table? You're not allowed to leave. It's that simple. But like, are you just a jigsaw like copycat? All I'm saying is, pop up on the format that I want. Screen and be like, would you like to play a game? All I'm saying is, if it's the format that I want, I'm putting the I'm putting the chain on myself. I'm gladly chaining well, myself. Well, I have table. a feeling I know which one you're going to say. Okay, well, let's hear your answer first, and then I'm going to hear your guess. So, I am going to say Magic Origins. Okay, that answer is fine. It is legitimately one of the best limited formats of all time. Okay. And in addition to it just generally being a good format... One of the things I like most about it, and one of the things I, I that really elevates a format for me, and one that I think would make it fun in this specific um, demented scenario, is there's a lot of like niche archetypes available in that format that don't come around too often, but are really fun when they do. Um, like there were some like you know artifact centric decks, different tribal decks. Like uh, there was the fairy miscreant deck. Um, a lot, lot of cool stuff going on there, but generally was a good format, uh, you know, a great format, uh, even outside of that. So that's what really puts it over the top for me. I was torn between that and cons of Tarkir. Um, and I'm not sure which cons, like, tri- would, would it be triple cons, 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 fate, or um, I'm, I'm not sure which one I would go there, but some cons format would be really close in the running. The obvious one, and the one that I think you're picking is Innistrad, probably triple Innistrad over uh, double Innistrad and um, Dark Ascension. Dark Ascension. Uh, you got it right. My answer would be triple Innistrad because that is the actual correct answer. It is the greatest draft <laughs> format of all time. It, it is a really good one. It, it's The thing about it that's gotten annoying is that the, the spider spawning deck has become so mythical that like people who aren't intimately familiar with the format overdraft the deck. Um, 
And everybody, like, you know, whenever it's drafting a nostalgic format, that's the most nostalgic deck to draft, so they just want to relive it again. Um, and I think that, that honestly makes it a little bit worse, replaying it. But it, it's, a, it's a great format. I, I won't fault you for the answer at all. Um, it also has, you know, if you count that as a niche archetype and um, the Burning Vengeance decks, which are super that's fun. That's me. That's yeah. me. That's I. I will windmill slam a burning vengeance and yeah, just build just burning vengeance. That. Desperate ravings. Let's fucking go. <laughs> yeah. Don't ask me twice. You already get. You already got me at the first card. Yeah. I'm already in. Um. One of the reasons I like the format so much. Uh, it was incredibly diverse. It was incredibly playable. Like you know, you got to play a lot of games. Like none of the decks just ran away with stuff too much. Spider Spawn, it could get a little annoying after it. I actually drafted that deck not a lot, just yeah, because it, I forced Birdie Vengeance so much. It also nobody like, else was wasn't actively that good once people really knew about it. Yeah, once you could figure it out, like how to beat it and stuff. Well, and, and people started drafting it. Like, it wasn't yeah. a deck that was always available, and it wasn't a deck that you could just get every time. People started forcing it before anybody knew about it, and you would just get, like, yeah. 15th pick Dream Twists, and you would wheel Spider Spawning, uh, yeah. you know, and do all this crazy stuff. But that stopped happening after a while. Yeah. The deck got a lot worse. Um, but it just has this like aura built up around it over the years that the, the format has sort of become known for that. And I think that actually undersells how good of a format it was. hundred percent agree. That's a really good point. One of the biggest selling points for me, and I, I've, I've had this answer before and I've told people this, one of the reasons I think this is one of the best formats of them. If you took the entirety of the set in Estrad and placed every card on the table, right? One of every card, like a Rochester draft kind of thing, right? I think there are less than five cards in the set that I didn't have in a main deck. It's probably like three cards. One of which I can remember is like Cellar Door. I don't think I had Cellar Door in a main deck ever. But every other card like found its way into a deck at some point or time. I think it is one of the most top to bottom complete sets ever made for limited, if not the most complete complete set ever for, for limited. I think the format is a absolute masterpiece. Also, I drafted the shit out of it. It's really good. It, I, I do. I would rate it the best draft format of all time. But in this specific scenario, if I'm, if unless I'm sure I'm drafting with people that were around then and drafting then and understand the context of the spider spawning deck, um, that I, I wouldn't want to draft it. Outside of that, I think I would go triple Innistrad, and I, I would I would prefer triple Innistrad over uh, two and one though. You do get uh, less of that spider spawning nonsense in two and one, and you get the gruel decks coming in, which is kind of fun because of wild hunger. Uh, but the, you, you just get less less of the niche decks overall. Uh, you know, you get less burning vengeance decks, which I thought was super fun. You know, the the travel prep decks got a lot worse. Um, I loved drafting actually uh, Azorius because I just fucking loved Silent Departure. Yeah, that card's messed up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I oh man, and then I loved drafting actually Rakdos Aggro. It was an okay, underrated archetype. That one was that one was good at times too. Yeah, anytime you could lead on Diagraph Ghoul, and like you just had <laughs> such good removal, and you always had a really strong curve. Um, the, de- the deck was very, definitely very underrated. Sometimes you got a vampire theme, sometimes you didn't. You know, the the best versions had a really developed vampire theme, but you know it wasn't necessary. Um, it, it was. You, and depending on how how good your removal was, you could start wheeling and playing Blood Craze Neonate, and it was a really good card in your deck. Less removal heavy, that card became a liability. But uh, yeah, I that deck really any format where like almost any color combination can be fine is really nice. If you have to be really limited, and it's one of the issues with the Ravnica formats, especially the more recent ones, where you're really it feels like there's only five color combinations instead of ten. Yeah. Um. Right. 
No, no, you're right. In 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 certain of the sets, like um, in, in when you're full block, then you start just get playing three and four color nonsense. But in the uh, the when they had like you know Guilds of Raptica, Raptica Legions, it was like yeah, you really just want to be one of those. Occasionally, you come up with a niche archetype that was different. I remember drafting like even original Raptica was kind of like this, and then um, and uh, and return to Ravnica. You know, like you just generally drafted within a guild, uh, but. In, in Innistrad, you really could draft almost any color combination and make it work. You know, there, there were preferable things to be doing in certain color combinations, but I remember early on drafting, like, Demir Control decks that generated a lot of value with Flashback and fucking getting Civilized Scholars and fucking crushing people with that card. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of, like, some of the, the offbeat decks. I, I remember... I think I won a draft open once or something on, on the SG Tour, like, you know, did really well in one where... Um, one of my decks had five or six copies of Delver of Secrets in my deck, and it was, like, pretty much the only creature in my deck. And, you know, because you had spells that made creatures in that format, too. You know, they, like, make creature tokens and stuff like that, and so, like, revealing them. I remember I, I once had a Delver of Secrets. I went Delver on one, flipped it, played two more Delvers on two, and then flipped them. And my opponent, like, made a comment, rightfully so. Yeah. Rightfully so. I mean, they probably think you just have, like, eight spells in your deck and you're absolutely yeah. lucky, but you probably had, like, 14 yeah, I was like, it's literally my entire deck. I remember I, I revealed an increasing savagery to one of my Delver of oh, Secrets. I don't know if yeah. you remember what that card is, but that is like one of the sweeter reveals to a Delver of Secrets ever in my life, and I've done that a lot. Like, that is probably the <laughs> yeah. thing I've... Someone made that Twitter uh, thing, like, what's the one thing and, like, the one action in Magic that you've done that you think you've done more than any other person in the history of the game? And I joked that mine was paid five mana for Force of Will, or whatever, because I've done that way too many times. But mine might be like physically flipping a Delver of Secrets. I'm not sure, but yeah, you might not be, really definitely be, be up there on that list. Yeah, it'd definitely be up there on that list. But uh, super cool question. Thanks, Lee. Really liked uh, really liked this question. We really you know dug into this one. So super excited. Uh, before before um, we move on, I just yeah. want to make sure to pitch to everybody how good Origins was as a draft format. God. The the key was that it was an, a fairly aggressive format. Like renown was the me, the major mechanic, and that's a, a mechanic that rewards attacking. But it wasn't aggressive in the same way that Zendikar and uh, M twelve and Gate Crash were, where it felt like if you fell behind, you were just dead. Uh, you, um, you could um, and cat. <laughs> yeah, you, you could uh, you could catch up. I I'm not sure if I oh I did draft some um, cat. Um, you can't block in Amaka. Like you just can't block. Yeah, you know? like you, you can block in Origins. So it ends up being a format where creature sizing really matters a lot because it had to be designed in a way where that renown plus and plus one was relevant. So it's a format where plus and plus one on any creature is a really big boost, and sizing your creatures relevantly matters, and combat matters a lot. So I, I really enjoyed it. I may be biased because I have a Grand Prix top eight in that format, but. Uh, and I also crushed our house drafts preparing for the Pro Tour, but I never talk about Lorwyn being a great set, and I have a Grand Prix top eight. I like so. I liked Lorwyn as a limited format. It was yeah, super it was degenerate, but yeah, it, was, it was fine. Yeah. I didn't draft it very often. I wasn't playing a ton of Magic then, but the times I did, it was fun. I only I only drafted it three times, Ross. Yeah, uh, the two the two on day two and the one in the top. Yeah, eight. <laughs> it was it was particularly fun if I opened one of Muldrifter or Silver Gildowser. <laughs> yeah, or or Shriek Maw. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. But but yeah, I took her silver dollar over literally everything ever. <laughs> yes. Okay. Last question we have in the mailbag from our, our wonderful editor, Brent, says, I like team unified events. Why am I right and why is everyone wrong? Here's the thing. 
about Team Unified events. The fun part about team events is just being able to hang out with your buddies for the duration of the event and feel more connected to them than you would at an individual event. There really isn't much to for the unified aspect to add, if anything. You know, oftentimes you can find a perfectly reasonable configuration to do. And if it does change the way that you're preparing for the event, it is likely that it did so in a negative way where one of you now has to be the person that says, okay, I can't play my deck. It's like when you show up and two of you are wearing the same thing at Halloween. And it's like, okay, one of you's got to change. And it's like, or one fun. of you's got to die. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And there you know, can be only one Ross. So I'm sorry. So it's not adding anything. So why like, you know, there are certain situations where it can be kind of fun. Like I actually remember the first time they did this for the team pro tour in 2006, when they did the team PTQ season, do you remember this? That that actually was kind of fun because that was a great standard environment that was very wide and diverse. It's actually, I think, the best one of all time, which was Kamigawa Ravnica. Um, and so there were a lot of different decks to choose from, and that made the punishing aspect of Unified um, a lot more palatable, right? But the formats are a lot narrower these days, and especially in standard. And that, I think, would make it a lot worse um, and it's really just unnecessary because, you know, we are all, we all know why we're playing team events. Um, it's for that aspect. And, it, you know, just let people play the decks they want to play. I mostly agree with everything Ross said, but I just like team events. So they're awesome. So I like team events, but not too many of them. I want to play like two or three a season outside of that one year where you, me and Brendan could never lose. Yeah, that I was, was fine. Say, we could have that- all of them. Yeah, like, except for I just wanted every open to be team of its ever. Yeah. <laughs> we Since couldn't then, lose, it's yeah. gotten a lot harder to win at them, so I don't like them nearly as much. Yeah. Well, it's because you're old now and you have it's other old they, men on your team. They banned your deck, and now like you're not just an automatic 13-3 at every fucking tournament. <laughs> uh, now I'm going to like, I'm more like a 12-4, and i got to scrape for a lot of the wins. <laughs> but and, You know, Brandon's not playing as much. You know, I, I mean, at all. Sure. that's Both our statements are true. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he plays Battlegrounds and hangs out with his kid. I mean, yeah. what kind of dad? You know, come on. I'm joking, obviously. His, his kid is great, and he should be doing that. <laughs> I didn't want that to come off more crass than I meant to do. I was trying to, like, poking fun at him. And How I was like, this dare he have a life? Yeah, that's more what I was trying to go along, along the lines of, how could you leave us? How could you leave Ross and I like this? So We have too many insomnia cookies. We can't eat them ourselves. I know, right? It was insane. And I, as long as the milk doesn't get thrown at me again, that, that's all I care about. I don't want to get hurt by the milk. No promises. Who, who was that? Harlan? I think it was, I think it was Harlan. No, I think it was Harlan. He threw the milk. He's trying to throw it to me, and he like threw it at me, and I was not looking or something. I don't remember. I think Whatever. it was me. No, I think it was Harlan. You were in the room. It was you and I were coming up from getting a drink, and Harlan had ordered the cookies and got the cookies. I think we spent 50-something dollars at Insomnia Cookies that night or something like that. It was a lot. It's, Insomnia Cookies is not that cheap. It's not, like, obscenely expensive. We also bought a lot of cookies. There was that, that one time we bought a lot of cookies. That's what I'm saying. We bought a lot of cookies and a lot of milk. We had, like, we one extra person, and it, like, normally you can get, like, that six-pack, and that's great for three people. You're, like, you each get two cookies. We had, like, five But instead, we, like, went up to, like, a dozen because we had four yeah. of us. And we might have even got more than that. And it, like I think we had to do like Brennan separate because he always has the nut allergy. Yeah, he has the nut allergy. I have the milk allergy. Yeah, like yeah you two just dairy don't have functioning human bodies. Dude, I, is that my fault, man? I can't help it. <laughs> like, I wish I could have dairy. I love cheese. <laughs> I had pizza today for lunch. It was amazing. <laughs> I've been eating 
nothing but mac and cheese for the last like four days because I just made way too much of it. I made yeah, a thirteen I was by nine casserole pan. Yeah. Do you know how much mac and cheese that is? That's a lot. Because I figured it out. It's too much. It's I too have much. one more okay. portion of it to eat tomorrow. I made this mac and cheese on Friday or Saturday. Okay. It, like it's so much. I bought so much cheese. Because I had to buy even more cheese because my next meal is eggplant parm. That's another very heavy cheese dish. And I'm going to make another 13 by 9 casserole of that. Actually, that might go into 9 by 9 because it gets stacked pretty high. I don't know. I have two eggplants. I'll have to judge how much that's going to fit. Yeah, yeah. I actually had um, a really good Italian dinner tonight that had a lot of a sauce in it. So I had to take, I had to take something. Parm? Say it again? Was it eggplant parm? No, it was uh, penne alla vodka. Ooh, that's also yeah. one of my favorites. With some garlic, with some garlic bread. When I'm, that's actually one of the things I order quite a bit from the restaurant near me, Food Fanatics Kitchen, which does a lot of pasta dishes. I've been on a pasta kick lately, like really been on a pasta. Kick. I just forget how good it is, but I've also been more active lately, and like that just pasta is good for you when you're when you're active. Yeah, penne alla vodka though. I actually I made it from scratch at an SCG open. We rented. It was remember that th- place we rented in Indy. Yes. Um. The stay it was Alfred like an apartment. Yeah. Yeah. So I rented one of those in. It was Indy again, but it was a different one. It was one that's further away. The more you tell the story, the more I'm just mad that I wasn't there, and they were were losing friendship points. It was it was me, Harlan, uh, Zach Allen, Russell Lee, and somebody else. There were five of us, and. Uh, we, uh, so I got there earlier than everybody else, like, you know, six o'clock maybe. Everybody else is getting in later. And when I got there, I noticed there was just a grocery store, like, across the street from the building. And this is, for people that don't know, this is a place that, like, rents out, you know, a block of rooms in an actual apartment building in cities and rents them out as, as vacation rentals. So we're in an apartment. So we have a kitchen, you know, full everything. And I'm thinking, I'm just like, you know what? I feel like cooking something nice for dinner rather than like going out somewhere. So I went into the grocery store and I wanted something pretty simple. So I made, you know, I bought, you know, you know, box pasta and I, I bought the ingredients to make vodka sauce from scratch minus the vodka because uh, I didn't want to get a whole bottle of vodka. I don't like vodka. Um, and I bought like a nice block of Parmesan Same. cheese and a nice bottle of red wine and I went about it, went back to the hotel, and I oh I bought uh, garlic bread too that you put in the oven, so, you know whole nine yards. So I uh, you know I, I made the entire sauce from scratch. I put on um, uh, Nat King Cole, so I had this like soft lounge music playing. Um, so I put on this like you know soft lounge music while I'm making you know dinner from scratch. And but everybody gets in you know hour hour and a half later, and I just and I I bought a salad too. And I just have dinner ready. I'm like, oh, there's salad here. Here's some more Parmesan cheese if you want to put that over the the, uh, the pasta. And, yeah. you know, I've got some garlic bread in the oven. and uh, It was great. I'm, like, so mad. I I, re- I enjoy cooking for people so much. It's yeah. really great. So mad, Ross. And, uh, you know, I've been doing it for the people in Roanoke. I made deviled eggs the other week. I'm just going to drive up there. I, I actually have made mac and cheese for them, like, a month ago. Maybe it was a few weeks ago. But it was a Promesco mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. Do you know what Romesco sauce is? I do not. It's like a it's a sauce that has like nuts and roasted red peppers blended Sounds together amazing. as the base. Uh, you know, other stuff added to it, but that that's the core ingredients. So I had like slivered almonds 
and I, I roasted red peppers in the oven and I made the sauce from scratch. And then you, you, you know, you make the, um, I didn't make a bechamel for this one, but you know, you melt the, you melt, instead of making a bechamel, melting the cheese into that and making a Mornay, like you do for classic baked mac and cheese, you just melt the cheese into the romesco. So you, you get that really a velvety cheesy texture to the sauce. And then you coat the, the nearly cooked pasta in that and then top it with cheese. And then instead of topping with breadcrumbs like you normally would, we topped it with the rest of the slivered almonds, put it in a cast iron pan and grilled it instead of baking it. Put it on the grill. That sounds amazing. Until the cheese bubbled uh, and made romesco mac and cheese. So it had that kind of like peppery red pepper note to it. Um, and that like, in, you know, had the almonds and that nutty note to it to go along with the nuttiness that is normally in Parmesan cheese. And it was really good. That sounds amazing. We gotta stop talking about food. I'm losing it over here. I had a full dinner and I'm like back to being hungry again. <laughs> like I'm gonna have to go snack on something. And it's not gonna be anywhere near as good as anything you just talked about. That just so, doesn't happen to me. Like I can talk about food when I'm really hungry and I don't care. I, I just like talking kid. about food. I'm just a fat kid. Like just love. I love food. Like so. Um, anyway, I would be remiss if we didn't mention our sponsor again uh, this week, Barrister and Man. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I've just been super happy with their products overall. Um, they sent me like eight or nine things. There's, there's one that's at the bottom of this drawer where I keep stuff at that I haven't tried out. And I forget which one it is. I need to go in there and try it out. But everything I've tried, I've just been pretty damn impressed with, uh, high quality, good price. Practicality is awesome. And I think I mentioned this at the show last week. I'm just ruined now. Like I just can never not have this stuff now going forward um i know i talked about it last week but now i've got another week under my belt of the uh the new soap the mint soap um, i'm obsessed <laughs> like i actually look forward to it now because um i try to make myself go outside every day i know that sounds weird but it's like you know when you get in this quarantine life you kind of just get into this like routine of like wake up do your work you know whatever watch it, you know, make, make some food, watch TV or do whatever, you know, bring my dog out to use the bathroom. But I try to go like walk around my neighborhood for 30 or 45 minutes and like maybe get a little bit, of, it's hard to get a run in right now because it is just so damn hot outside. Like I'm just drenched in sweat. It's when been I get, so when I do. nice in Roanoke in the yeah. last week or two. Like It's just been so hot. We, we played basketball at like five o'clock when it was 80 mm-hmm. something degrees. It was great. Yeah, that sounds amazing. It's just never 80 degrees here. Like I'm looking it up now. It might be 80 degrees now. Mm, yeah, it's 80, it's 80 something degrees right now. It is 87. It's 80 something. It's it's like 80 ish right Jesus. now. And that's because it and that's because it rained and it got it got colder. Oh today. my god! It it is currently 11:20 p.m. in Eastern time, which means in fake time it's 10:20 p.m. Yeah. Um. You know the you know the little, little that little breeze you get right before it rains and you can like smell the rain coming. I was outside like exercising yeah. and that came. I was like, oh, this is nice. But now I have to go inside and couldn't finish. You know and. Honestly, I just look forward to coming inside and taking a shower and using the, the the soap. That's like my new obsession is that one. And I think anyone who's been listening to this and listening to the our spiels on the product know that I'm really into that one and the uh, like the shaving butter along with the shaving brush. Just super obsessed. Yeah. But uh, I got to say this. The, the mint stuff uh, was actually I was turned on to it by one of our listeners. Um, and I got to say this. He, he knocked out of the park. He was like, yeah, I think you'll like this. Try this one out. I ordered it. I love it. It's great. And I was like, yeah, you're just right. I'm I'm still hooked on Seville, um, as I'll repeat every week, and it's it's kind of hard for me. Like I, I agree with you, and I, the only reason I'm reticent is I just have trouble describing exactly like why. But I think just you know when you're using a lower quality soap, I 
I think you just don't it leaves a bit of a kind of a residue more behind yeah oh 100% I don't think they moisturize your skin as well and so I'm just and I you know I've never used a high quality soap before and these like you just feel I just feel cleaner getting out of the shower 100% I feel cleaner I feel it more afterwards too like I think I've told you about it It leaves that like lasting feeling kind of on your skin and stuff like nice scent you know it, it, yeah, it's like when you use a product and you could feel that, like, you could feel the product working and you're like, you know it's working, right? And the ingredients are better in these things. Like, you know, um, there's this commercial that goes around. It talks about, there's, like, this soap commercial that goes around where it talks about, like, men's soap is, like, glorified uh, dish detergent now because it's just, like, all these gels and weird stuff. And, like, yeah, that's cool and practical, but I'd rather mine just be made out of, like, good, wholesome you know, a, f- a few ingredients, right? It's like, it's kind of like when you, when you went vegetarian or I started eating a lot cleaner, like I actually like my food to be simpler mostly because I actually find that it's better, it's cleaner and it's, it's just healthier for you when you're not, look, I don't like looking at the ingredients on my food, my soap, anything like that I put into my body or onto my body. And I can't pronounce one of the words in the, in the thing where I'm like, and then it has a number attached to it too. That scares the shit out of me, right? But it has a word that has like seventeen vowels and a number. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm off it. Yeah, I, I feel you there. You know, that that can sometimes get overblown, but in general, yeah, we have a lot yeah, of, of course, just like but... processed shit that is really cheap and, you know, made out of, of whatever that they, you know, can use easily. And it takes, you know, effort and it takes some, you know and it it takes quality ingredients to make a, a high quality product. You know, it's true in cooking. It's true in soap making. And uh, yeah. I, I really, you know, any, any, when we started doing this, which was probably like two months ago when we first got the call about this, something like that, yeah. you know, I'm always naturally skeptical. Like, is this really going to be that different? But you know, it really is. I, I was too. I, honestly, I was too. It's just different and it's way better. So check out their shit. <laughs> yeah definitely check out their stuff uh you can use our code pioneercast did i get yeah, that right yeah pioneercast i actually i actually am the one who gets it wrong i remember for some reason i want to say pioneer podcast it's pioneercast uh you can use it on their website i think i believe it's still 20 percent off on, on your orders check out their stuff uh highly recommend it i don't think that you'll be disappointed and i think i mentioned this last week too i think it's a great gift idea especially with what's going on you know around the world since body some some cool soap if you got a friend that stinks a little bit you know, they smell a little bit, send it to them. Um, you got a boyfriend, you got a girlfriend that likes this kind of stuff, send it to them. You got a husband, you got a wife. You know, because look, here's the thing. I've been married for a few years now. I've been together for like six or seven years. My wife. I find it hard to find gifts sometimes because like she just has what she wants. You know what I mean? Like you get what I'm saying. Like after a while, you're just kind of like kind of spinning my tires here. But I got to say this, it, it's been easier. Like uh, I was going to say my, my, my brother's birthday is coming up. And I'm actually just going to get him a. Uh, I'm going to give him the shaving butter and the and the and the shaving brush. He doesn't listen. He doesn't listen to the show, so it'll still be a surprise. And this is 100 percent a thing that like people will not buy for themselves. It's not something yeah, that's you the ever big think thing. about. No, I I would have never bought this stuff for myself, and I freaking love it. Like, because I'll tell you this, uh, I used to have a I used to have a thing that I would do. Um, I did this when I was like in, in, the time that I was in New York, and a couple. Of, you know, I do it when I visit Vegas because I have somebody out there that I like that does this. Is I'll go get a good shave. Right. Like I'll go to a professional shave and like, you know, it's one of the ones where they, they lay you back in the chair and you feel like you're going to get whacked. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're in yeah, one of those gangster movies. It's what they do with beer trimming, too. I, I'm... Yeah. Huge fan. Right. And because oh, yeah. here's the thing, it's it's our version of like the pedicure, manicure, spa experience. I want to like, start getting the, pedicures, too. I I've, I've had them. They're not bad. Yeah. 
Uh, Jonathan Job used to get them a lot, so I would just go with him and his uh, his girlfriend at the time, and so I would just tag along because like half the time he'd be like, "Look, just come, I have someone to talk to. I'll pay for it." And I'm like, "Yeah, man, you don't have to you don't have to convince me more than that. <laughs> like, yeah. you make it free for me. I'm gonna probably try it out, you know, kind of thing." And uh, you know, poker players, you gotta kind of you gotta kind of take care of the cuticles and stuff too, uh, quite a bit as well sometimes. So you know, what? we'll have to go tr- we'll have to go try it out, Ross, at some point in time, probably in like three years when it's 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 safe to do that. When it's safe to do so. Yeah, when it's safe to get outside and do that kind of stuff. But uh, highly recommend their products. Definitely check it out if you haven't before. Um, holidays are coming up. I think I think it's a, it's a great gift idea. Because especially people around our age, did you ever notice that as you've gotten older? Like when I was a kid, you know, if you got clothes or something for Christmas, you're like, fucking clothes. Like, give me a Super Nintendo. Give me Mario Kart. Give me a Game Boy, like whatever, right? Give me these toys. Now, like my parents know. It, it's It's... It's kind of funny. I don't buy boxers or briefs or stuff anymore because my mom gets them for me every year for Christmas and socks. And like, she knows the kind of like, you know, I'm like, get me this, you know, this size. Don't, don't deviate. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't deviate. You know, like just get this. Right. And I look forward to it. I like it. Cause like, I don't have to go do it for myself anymore. Yeah. And that stuff's annoying. It's not like, you know, I can enjoy getting, you know, clothes that I'm regularly going to wear and be like, ah, I think this looks good. That can be, that can be fun. I don't want to do it all the time. Uh, but like, you know, underwear is just like, it doesn't really have to look great. If people are looking at that, you know, the deal is already sealed. So I just need, you know, reasonable underwear that fits. Shopping for underwear sucks. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've changed a lot lately. I've moved more from the boxers into the boxer brief stuff. Just, you just get a real personal pants. I I like it. I, I think it's, I think it's just a better, especially when I had to start, you know, dressing a lot different for like work and stuff. I like the. We're not going to get into this more. This is getting really intimate with well, the, the fans if here. If you're wearing a more slim cut of pant, it's, yeah. it's just uncomfortable to have, like, you know, big billowy boxers underneath yeah. them. So that, exactly. that's where the, cha- the the differences happen. So I kind of like having both in my arsenal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, as I say, I'm, I'm just a, a big fan of this stuff overall. Like, as you get older, you start to like this stuff more. You know what I mean? Like, you, you start caring about a different thing. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of stuff. So... Look, if, if you're going to go out and buy a nice deck box and buy good sleeves for your magic cards, you can buy yourself a good soap. <laughs> but buy yourself some good sleeves. You know, you can buy yourself some good slope. Did I say slope? Soap. You buy yourself because <laughs> you said sleeves. Uh, good old uh, good old fanatics there. I think but that's our cue to exit Tannen. I think, I was going to say, I think that's our cue to end the show. Uh, Ross, if you wanted to hear more of your musings, where would they go? Well, first and the best place is my Twitter account. I am at Ross Hunneds, R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Best place to find out about all of my content and ask me questions. I try to get back to people as much as I can there. Next is my written content on StarCityGames.com. It goes up Tuesdays at 11 a.m. This week's article was all about Rakdos Sacrifice and Standard. I have a little bit of a different take on it. I said earlier in the show I don't like Mayhem Devil. My list doesn't have Mayhem Devil in it. So if you like Rakdos Sacrifice like I do... I would encourage you to check that out. Appreciate all support there. Next is my Twitch channel where I'm Ross underscore Miriam. Uh, stream, basically, I try to get like one or two streams in during the week, and then I stream over the weekend. At least two out of the three, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, often all three. Uh, I'm always streaming the SCG events when they happen. There's going to be one this Saturday. Uh, and then other Moto events, as my schedule permits. So, uh, you know, very tournament-focused. I'm usually either testing or playing in tournaments. Uh, but sometimes we have some fun when there's some cube up as well. Um, so appreciate all support on Twitch. 
And then finally, there is my video content for Star City Games, which is Versus Live that I co-host with Corey Baumeister. That's Tuesdays and Thursdays on the Star City Games Twitch channel, same place you go to watch open coverage. 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern, we're live. We're also tournament-oriented, playing competitive formats, but having a really fun time with it. We jaw back and forth. We take questions from the audience. We would love to have you live. If you can't catch us live, those who do go up on the Star City Games YouTube channel, uh, the recordings of them do the next day at 5 p.m. Eastern. So you can watch them uh, just uh, 25 hours later. Uh, yeah, if you wanted to hear some more stuff from me, you can follow me on Twitter at the Tannen Grace, and you can follow me on Twitch under just Tannen Grace. I might eventually turn my Twitter, I'm sorry, my Twitch back on at some point in time. We'll see. Um, I don't know. I might be playing some historic sometime soon because I got a I got a cool historic announcement that I've been making about a week or two, so I might be playing a lot of that format soon. So really into that kind of stuff. Might have to might have to check it out and might have to stream myself so I can embarrass myself quite a bit there. Um, as for the Twitter, I said awesome. I'll be there. Nice. I was so only say, I if you promise for... to embarrass yourself. Ross, you've seen me on a daily basis. You know what's going to happen. But I'd, I'd like to promise. Okay, sure. All right. Uh, the Twitter for the cast itself is at Cast Pioneer. Make sure you give us a follow on there. Lots of cool things going on there. Uh, retweeting a lot of 5041 really cool deck lists in Pioneer. You get to find out when the new episodes go live. And some other cool stuff that's going on. If you go into our Discord, there's a link for that in the Twitter. Or you can just message one of us. Make sure you at Ross, who really likes it when you do that. And he'll send you the link to the Discord. Uh, make sure you get in there. A lot of cool I don't even know how to do there. that, Tannen. It, it's very easy, and I'll show you after the show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. just, just to let you know, if people, if people ask me that, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I will show you after the show. It's actually very easy. Um, I'm sure it is. So as I said, that link's in the Twitter. Make sure you check out our Discord. You may have heard us answer some questions live on the show. That is one of the perks of being a patron of our show. Our Patreon is at patreon.com slash pioneercast. Any monetary value that you can add to our show, we really, really appreciate it. You don't have to. Everyone listening at home, we thank you so much. But if you do feel the need to help us out, we've got to pay Brent, our wonderful editor, in some way, shape, or form. And we could only do so much with soap. So we need... Dollary dues, <laughs> one less Starbucks run a month can help you out with this. We do a lot of cool stuff for people who are patrons. We are going to have a new patron-only episode up pretty soon, I think, here in the next couple weeks, maybe even as soon as next week. Me and Ross got to flush out some time yet. So if you are a patron, make sure you get those questions in there. I've seen some people filling it out. I think we got a uh, good uh, – man, we got a we got a, a little bit of uh, questions in there. So looking for some cool ones yeah, to come up in the next – got time to get, uh, get more in. Mm-hmm. to get some more in or ross and i can just talk about the jazz the entire time i'm, I'm cool in that yeah someone said they want to hear me talk about baseball a lot so we'll see about that as well um but uh that goes along we have some tokens going out in the future uh that actually might happen re- sooner rather than later and i know brent's got some stuff in the works that he's looking into so we might do some some fun stuff with that but for everyone listening at home we appreciate all the support you give us monetarily or just listening you're awesome we love you and we'll see you next week